We are continuing on in our series uh, dealing with the Apostles' Creed. And as we look at the Apostles' Creed, we're, we're trying to balance two different ideas here, wanting you to, to grab a hold of them, that we're both sharing with you what it is that we believe. Uh, there's actually a, a need for us constantly to be reminded over and over again, brothers and sisters, about what are the fundamental things in which we believe in the Apostles' Creed, we think, does a great job of summarizing the biblical message, saying, hey, here are eight core ideas that you need, to, that you really have to grab a hold of as part of your faith. Uh, so eight different ideas that are here. But secondly, and just as importantly, this is not an intellectual ec exercise. This is a need of having our lives shaped by the creed, uh, lives shaped by the Word of God, and consequently what we are communicating here in the creed. So when we say something like, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we're not just asserting an intellectual proposition. We are. We are saying, look, there is this forgiveness of sins, and we are asserting the understanding, our belief, and our holding on to that. That is true. But in addition, we are saying, and I live according to this belief that our Lord has forgiveness of sins. So a number of uh, months ago, this was, I uh, was wrapping up a meeting with uh, one of the folks here at the church, and as he was leaving, I said, hey, what are you doing? This, that, and he told me what he's doing after the meeting. He says, what are you after? And I says, well, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to a, a store. I'm going to uh, buy Kelly some flowers. And he says, oh, is it her birthday, anniversary? I said, no, no, nothing like that. He said, what did you do? <laughs> So then I go and I buy these flowers, and as I'm just talking to the checkout person there, I'm sitting there talking, and uh, she, I say, aren't these just beautiful? They're just beautiful. She says, yeah, you must be in a lot of trouble at home. <laughs> I get out of my car, I'm walking through the door with these flowers, and my neighbor uh, just swings by. He says, oh, look how great those are. What did you do at home? I, you know, you must be in a lot of trouble. I'm like, why does everybody assume that just because I'm buying Kelly... Now, it did happen to be true in this case. <laughs> but that's beside the point. It was uh, everybody's making this assumption that somehow I got myself into trouble and found myself in hot water across the board. You guys know that I like the imagery, the, uh, the, the picture, the word picture, uh, or the physical picture of us standing to hear the Word of God. Uh, this is a, a sign for me of, of respect. It's a sign for me of submission to the Scriptures. I like that picture. Nothing gives us a, good, uh, a better jump into a discussion of uh, the forgiveness of sins like Psalm 32. So as I read Psalm 32, if you are able, if you would please stand for the word of the Lord. Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when it may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him, for you are my hiding place for me. You preserve my, me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you for my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, once again, thank you for communicating with us. Thank you for not leaving us without this firm foundation of the word of God. We give you great praise and thanks. Amen. Please grab your seats, and if you would, grab Psalm 32. So I said Psalm 32 does a fabulous job of setting up this idea of confession. I'm sorry, this idea of forgiveness. What forgiveness looks like. Now, I tried to read the psalm, I tried to read the psalm kind of like I think that it was intended to be read. Uh, this, this overwhelming joyous attitude, this, this jubilation is the tone in which the, the uh, psalm is set. You can hear the, the excitement, the joy that comes flowing off of the psalmist as he writes about the forgiveness that it is in his heart. He's really excited. So he starts out, blessed is the one. Um, this is a side issue. Uh, again, uh, the blessedness that is spoken of here, the word is actually in the plural and kind of an ongoing sense. So it's not blessed are you this one time that the Lord forgives your sins. Nor is it even you are now in a blessed situation now that the Lord has forgiven your sins. I do think that's kind of what's implied in the whole psalm, that you're in a blessed situation now when the Lord forgives your sins. But in particular, it's this idea of of bless, not just blessedness, but this constant overflow. The, the author is trying to say, man, there's just so much going on here in your life. There is just an overwhelming set of appeal here when the Lord overflows you with his forgiveness. This is just a side issue, not really my point today. But boy, I think that if we spent more time thinking about the forgiveness of the Lord, if we thought about that, I think there would be a, a jubilation in our lives, a joy in our lives, and we would be so much more aware and sensitive to the, the bountiful blessings, the blessedness of being a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. I worry somewhat if our attitude and if our, if our mindset is simply not shaped by the fact that we don't spend enough time thinking about the forgiveness of our God. Now that forgiveness is described here in the opening, verses, uh, in the opening two verses of our psalm for us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. So the forgiveness is spoken up there, but don't miss the, the, the reason for the forgiveness. The need for forgiveness is present here too. What is the need for forgiveness? Well, it's our sin. And there are three different terms that these opening verses use when it wants to talk about our sin. Um, and they're not, there are three different terms. They're not talking about three different things, uh, transgression, iniquity, and sin. They're not talking about three different things they're basically talking about the same idea, but they're kind of looking at it from different standpoints. They're kind of viewing it from a different perspective. That they, the, the psalmist wants you to have a great picture of what God has forgiven you for. And so he uses these three different terms. The, the first is sin. Um, 
Uh, and sin is, uh, is the way in which we often talk about things. Sin uh, in this context means missing the mark. Uh, it's falling short of what God intends for us. Uh, we know that our Lord is holy. Uh, the Bible pro proclaims that. All of the works of God's hands proclaim that for us. Our Lord is holy, and he has provided for us a holy way of living our lives, the law of God. And he has said to us, be holy as I am holy. And it is easy for us to step there and realize how far from that mark we fall. We fall short. We don't hit the target. There is so much that we do not do and we do not faithfully do, and that is sin. That's the description of sin. But that's not the only description that is here. He also goes on to say that the blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now, transgressions are a little different. Again, it's the same, same idea, but a different twist on the word. A transgression is a relational idea. Sin simply means you've missed the mark. A transgression identifies that you miss the mark, but that there's a relational component to it. You have rebelled against your Lord. Transgressing, think of a trespass or something like that. You have gone in places that specifically you are not to go, and that is an expression of your rebellion against the Lord. So the implication here is that every sin, every time we fall short, if we acknowledge it or not, we are actively rebelling against the Lord. Now, I don't think we usually think of it that way. If I lose my temper or if I gossip about somebody or if I think negative thoughts about somebody or if I engage in a practice that I know is displeasing to the Lord, um, if, I, if I engage in those kind of things, if I do those kind of things, I usually know that I'm not measuring up to God's standards but I often don't put it in my mind that what I'm doing is rebelling against the Lord. But that's exactly why I think the author uses this word trans, transgress, because what we're doing is we are rebelling against God. So the, we have sin, we have transgression, and then we have iniquity. Iniquity, again, speaking all of the same actions, but iniquity focuses a little bit more on the sense of corruption or crookedness or brokenness, or wrongness. What we do when we sin against the Lord, when we sin against one another, is not right. There is a brokenness that is present there. There is a twistedness, a crookedness, and we are displaying that to the world. Whenever we sin, if we think we are or not, that is built into the whole concept of falling short of God's purposes, falling short of the glory of the Lord, falling short of what he has promised to us, rebelling against him, and showing the whole world that there is a crooked, broken, corrupted nature that we are acting out of. Three words for sin in these opening verses, though, are well paralleled by three acts of our God. Look at how great this is. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now, the word for forgiven here has the imagery of of something being lifted off. Uh, the same word is used when you, when you lift something up off of a cart or if you lift something off of a horse or something like that, lifting something off and taking it away. Forgiveness is this picture of, of something being lifted away. Some of you will have read John Bunyan's work, Pilgrim's Progress. 
It's a marvelous book. Uh, if you haven't read it uh, before, I'd encourage it. It's an allegory, and in the allegory, uh, the main character, the opening lines of the main character, he's carrying this massive burden. It's just this overwhelming burden that is weighing him down. And wherever he goes, if he's with his family, or if he's out at work, or if he's by himself, he's, he's got this constant load that is weighing him down. And he's saying, how do I get rid of this thing? How do I get, how, how do I get free of this burden that is overwhelming me? And it, and it crushes him until finally he comes to the cross. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, that burden is taken away and disappears. It's a great picture, imagery of this burden being lifted and being taken off of us. The transgression is forgiven. The sin is covered. Now, when, when you think of covering, I don't know what you think of. My natural reaction is, you know, that you dig a hole or something and you stick the sin in the hole and then you cover it up and you can't see it anymore. Well, there might be some truth to that, um, but the picture here is actually from the sacrificial system in the Israelite culture, and the way Israel worshipped was that they would take the blood of somebody innocent, of something innocent, an animal, and they would cover the guilty person with that blood, and you would cover that person. And so the picture is, blessed is the one whose sin has been covered, where something precious, something innocent, something costly has covered you with the blood, not so that you can't see the sin, but so when you look at the sin, or when you look at the person, instead of seeing the sin, you see that which is precious and costly and marvelous in our eyes. And of course, for the believer, that is Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ, our sin is covered, not that it is tucked away and God can't see it anymore, but rather because when he looks at us, he sees that which is precious and godly in his eyes. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered, and in whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose corruption, whose crookedness is not counted against them. This is that marvelous picture of the essence of the salvation that we experience that in our forgiveness, our Lord separates us from the guilt of our sin as far as east is from west. It's not enough to bury it in the ground. It's not enough to separate it as far as north is from south because as far as that is, and that's hugely far, the north is from the south, you can eventually get to the end. That's a limited, finite distance. The Bible tells us that the Lord separates us from the guilt of our sin as far as east is from the west, and as soon as you geographically wrap around that, you'll realize that there's no end to that. There is no end to the separation that the Lord gives from the guilt of our sin so that our sin is covered by that which is precious and holy and righteous in God's eyes, and our sin is paid for. Our, our sin is forgiven, lifted away from us, taken off of us. And then finally, our sin is removed in such a way that you cannot. That's what forgiveness is. That's why, as Christians, we stand and we proclaim in the midst of eight key statements that we are going to state about the gospel message, the Apostles' Creed. One of them is, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, to some extent, I, I trust that you believe in the forgiveness of sins uh, because you came here today. Uh, I mean, uh, now, if, if built into the gospel message was not the understanding, built into the Christian faith, uh, into the teaching that we give all the time, was not this idea of the forgiveness of sins, my guess is that some of us would still gather because we would gather, even without God's forgiveness, we would say, hey, God is worth worshiping. We need to worship him in any case. So there are more reasons to worship God than simply for the forgiveness of sins. But let's face it, built into uh, the fabric of our Christian faith is a recognition that our Lord has forgiven your sin. So many of us know that to be true. But as I've been trying to stress, the Apostles' Creed is not simply the affirmation of what we know to be true. It's a question of if you live according to that affirmation. Now, if you read along with us while we stated this, all of you said at one point here this t today, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. My question now is, do you live that way? In order to experience this, explore this, I want to do a thought experiment with you. Okay, so you need to kind of work with me as we walk our way through this. Okay, a thought experiment. Imagine that you have uh, very seriously damaged a relationship with a close friend. Perhaps they're your best friend. Um, and you have, through your gossip, or through a betrayal, or through neglect, in some way or another, you have seriously offended this good, good friend of yours. All right, now, you realize that, and you go, and you talk to the person, and you say, geez, I'm really sorry about this, and, and you know, you, you lean into the relationship, you trust the relationship to some extent. Okay, how do you move forward? How do you move forward most of the time? Uh, Having lived as a believer for 35 years of my life, I'm being 50-some years old, um, here are the strategies that I usually employ, three of them. Uh, the first is that I ignore it and try to move past it. Okay, I've offended this person. I almost feel like bringing somebody up front here. I'm looking at Steve, never mind. Um, you know, <laughs> imagine Steve is standing here. And I have truly offended him, okay? Now, at my best, I'm going to say to him, hey, I said this about you. I thought this about you. I really apologize. This is not, not who I want to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Steve, being a good guy, he says, okay. Um, now, immediately, what I do is I try to bury it. I don't want it brought up again. I don't want to think about it again. I want to move past it because I don't want to be so burdened by the guilt. I don't want to be thinking, I don't want to get up in the middle of the night thinking, I can't believe I did that to Steve. And ah, da, 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 you know. I don't want to be so overcome by this. That I want to move past it. I just want, I, I want to forget it and ignore it. That's the first strategy that I employ most frequently. The second strategy is that I try to make amends. I want to I, I want to make sure that this person, that I want to make sure that Steve knows that it's worth being friends with me, that, that the good outweighs the bad. And so I buy him flour. Wait, 
No, I don't buy him. <laughs> uh, you know, you know I, I, want him, I want him to know that the positive things about me outweigh the, outweigh the negatives. And so I pile on the good so that in the balance of life, when Steve is sitting there thinking, do I really want to be friends with this clown? He, he, you know, well, the positives outweigh the negatives. And therefore, I'll go ahead and put up with this horrid thing that took place in the past because the positives outweigh things. I, I try to make amends. Thirdly, the third strategy is that I, I promise that, look, I, I won't do this again. Not only that, but I've learned from my mistakes, and I'll be better moving forward. I won't do this again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get better and better all the time with the hope that five, ten years from now, I'm a better person, and that problem that I had in the past is now taken into account by the, well, you know, he was a screw-up, but now he's less of a screw-up. And so now we kind of accept him as he is. Okay? That's my thought experiment. I don't know how yours goes. If you imagine offending a good friend, how do you respond? I, I want to ignore it. I want to make amends or I want to promise in the future I'll be better. That's how I usually confront my sin. Notice who's at the center of everything that I've been talking about. It's me. It's you. Dear God, I sinned when I thought that way about my fellow friend. Yeah, I just hope you forget it. I, I'm, I, I'm just going to not, you know, let's just not pay any attention. To Dear God, I've really screwed up. I promise I'm going to go to Bible study. I'm going to try to get to worship on time. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to do, I'm going to be better moving into the future. I'm going to make amends, Lord. You're going to see. God, in the future, I promise I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to, I'm going to work really hard to be a better person than what I was today. Now, I'm not dishing on any of those ideas. Should we be better in the future than we are today? Of course we should. You know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Uh, should we learn not to be burdened by the guilt that has been removed from us? Of course we should. People walking continually in guilt isn't over. Should we try to make amends uh, with ourselves and, and interacting with God? Yeah, of course, all of those are fine. But none of those touch on what it means to say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Because when you proclaim that you believe in the forgiveness of sins, you're not focusing on what you do. You're not saying, this is what I'm going to do to try to repair the damage that I have done to this relationship. What we are doing is we are looking to the Lord, recognizing that he has forgiven your transgressions. He has removed the burden, the weight of your transgressions. That he, it is God himself, who has covered your sin. That everything about your sin that separates you from the Lord, and when he sees it now, he looks and sees nothing but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is God himself who takes our iniquity and refuses to count it against us, but rather separates it so far from us that it is never, ever associated with us again paid for by Jesus Christ. That's what it means when we collectively proclaim 
And when you individually proclaim, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Yes, it's easy for us to believe that God forgives the sins of his people. But do you practically live every day as though God forgives your sin? You don't have to buy him flowers. You don't have to hope that he forgets it. You don't have to hope that he buries it. You don't have to hope that he's just going to count you as a better person in the end. You don't have to count, which is what I hear all the time, that your good deeds are going to eventually outweigh your bad deeds. Because the reality is that your bad deeds have been paid for, lifted away from you, covered by Christ's blood, and separated from you as far as the east is from the west. That's what it means for all of us to proclaim that our Lord forgives our sin. And of course, there's nothing better to picture that than the table of our Lord. When we come to the table, it is here that we see the fulfillment of all of what we've been talking about, the forgiveness of sins. This is what it means for us to gather together as a community and to affirm the forgiveness of sins. Because what we do is we affirm that what Christ did upon the cross was not simply a historical act, but it was an intentional act for each and every one of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. And so this table is open to all those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of the Lord, we invite you to share in this table together. And as you're doing so, you are affirming that you believe in the God's forgiveness for us, but also that you believe in the forgiveness for you, that our Lord has lifted that burden from you, that he has covered your sin, and he has separated it from you as far as the east is from the west. And so we come to a time of the table where we recognize the work of our Lord, that on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he'd given thanks for it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And immediately after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is shed for your forgiveness. <clears throat> Therefore, whenever you eat this bread <clears throat> and drink this cup, in a second here, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, how grateful we are that you have not left us without that witness, that testimony to your faithfulness and your love, that you have forgiven us and you have forgiven our sin from beginning to end. Lord, we are grateful for that, for the love and care that you give us now and forever, we pray. Amen.